Hello and welcome to the IG podcast series. I'm one of the co-hosts, Tom Jenkins, the fire chief for the city of Rogers, Arkansas, and a past president of this fine association. And I'm joined with my good friend, Shelton. Hello, Tom. It's great to be here today, and I'm, I'm really excited about our topic today. I can think of nothing more relevant than talking about the big three issues that are hurting and in some cases killing uh, our, our our industry and, and our folks, and that is uh, cancer and cardiac and, and, and mental wellness. So I'm um, looking forward to the discussion today and our guests and um, ready to get started. Well, and we couldn't be any more fortunate in this association to have a lot of people working on these topics, not just, not just legislative work, but our safety, health, and survival section certainly carries a lot of water to try to move the needle, to try to make um, these issues uh, easier to deal with or understood better by some of those decision makers. And we've got two, dare I say, experts um, in these topics who have a lot of experience and are certainly uh, people that are well res- respected with their street credibility. We have uh, Todd LaDuke. Uh, Todd LaDuke uh, just retired not too long ago as the assistant chief with Broward County, Florida Sheriff's Office and Fire Rescue. He's now the chief strategy officer with LifeScan Wellness Centers. And LifeScan, of course, is uh, something that you see commonly at the Metro Conference and at Fire Rescue International. So uh, we're glad that Todd joins us today. And we also have Dan Kerrigan. And Dan just uh, received uh, an appointment as Chief of Fire and Emergency Services for the Upper Providence Township. And, of course, that's in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. He's also an IESC uh, Safety, Health, and Survival uh, Section board member, and so we're excited to have these two guys uh, with us today. Welcome, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, good morning, Chief LeDuc and and Chief Kerrigan, and and again, thank you for being here. I cannot think of a more important topic that we can and should be discussing. And so we'll we'll start with a couple questions for Chief LeDuc. Chief, um, can you briefly kind of give us an idea of the cardiac and cancer risks and outcomes that we're seeing within our industry that are changing the way we approach our wellness programs in the fire service? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I can't uh, think of uh, two larger topics uh, that confront the, today's fire service, and of course, with Herb, we're going to talk about today's behavioral. But we we know um, just from the the data that uh, is out there being collected that uh, on the cardiac front, um, on duty line of duty deaths uh, continue to be led by uh, cardiac events. Uh, we know the research tells us uh, for every one fatality from a cardiac event, um, we're seeing anywhere from 17 to 25. Um, disabling cardiac injuries, commonly you know referred to as, as cardiac crippled. Um, those are firefighters that uh, uh, will never go back to the job and uh, struggle to have the uh, uh, activities of daily living in a normal fashion. So we know cardiac is huge. There's some evolving research out there, uh, which you know, we can talk about uh, during this uh, uh, presentation, uh, that is uh, refining our knowledge on uh, some of the precursors and, and perhaps some additional screenings and testings that need to be considered. Uh, and uh, the cancer front, uh, again, another large elephant in the room. Um, we know that uh, one out of every three members of the general population uh, at some time during their, uh, during their lifespan will battle cancer. Um, and we know 
from uh, probably the largest study uh, that's been done in firefighters, the NIOSH study with about uh, 35,000 firefighters, um, that firefighters on top of that uh, uh, 39% risk have an elevated risk just based on the the exposures of uh, chemicals that, that we are confronted with when we go into uh, IDLH environments. Uh, so uh, the prevailing research is telling us about a 9% overall increased risk to firefighters above general population and about a 14% uh, risk of perhaps uh, uh, succumbing to it. So we're hoping that uh, with, the, with the establishment of a uh, national cancer registry that's been passed and signed into law, that we'll continue to, to have a better understanding of the magnitude of this problem. But we know it's large uh, on, on both fronts. Well, Chief LaDuke, I think uh, that's a great introduction and summary. And that's, um, you know, your, your, your data points are spot on. I hear fire chiefs all the time talk about Physicals, and we know the, through the work of the section, um, there's been a lot of information put out there for our IAFC members on how to better uh, lead these organizations and and make sure your firefighters are having some level of medical surveillance. So, you know, quickly, can you just tell us what are the best practices for fire departments out there? You know, big, small, volunteer combo, career. What are the best practices for fire departments regarding annual physicals? Sure. Uh... You know, through the through the IFC and the section safety, health, and survival, we we've done some uh, uh, stakeholder meetings on this topic uh, nationally. We've done some survey um, research. Uh, we found uh, the career departments are perhaps uh, doing uh, a little bit more in terms of providing uh, medical uh, screening to the members on our volunteer side. Um, the numbers uh, are not quite as high, so we know we still have some work to do, although um, efforts are, are certainly have, have increased in the last uh, number of years. Um, the, the challenge, however, is when we surveyed um, the fire service, we, we found folks were perhaps getting some type of a physical, but not necessarily what we call an occupationally appropriate physical. And of course, We've got NFPA 1582 as kind of a baseline of what we should be doing. Um, there's some evolving research to enhance that that's being looked at. Um, the section itself, uh, working with FSTAR, Safety, Health, and Survival, and FSTAR, uh, put together a, uh, a national uh, group of experts uh, that created the uh, uh, IFC Healthcare Providers Guide to Firefighter Physicals. And it's, it's meant to be a uh, easy to digest uh, overview of the occupational health risk that firefighters face. And then recommendations as to what medical screenings um, need, need to be considered. And uh, that's out there. You can just Google it, Healthcare Providers Guide to Firefighters Physicals. We're working uh, through the IFC and Safety, Health and Survival with the First Responder Center of Excellence to update that to version 2.0. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, we we see as a challenge is uh, uh, so much research that's coming out on firefighter occupational health is keeping our our medical provider community um, up to speed on on all that research as quickly as it's evolving. So uh, that's a tremendous resource that's out there. I'd recommend it. Another thing I would point out is uh, some of the survey research that the section did um, on both the career and volunteer side. Uh, we found there was a big gap in behavioral health screenings as part of uh, as part of the the annual physical. So um, whoever's doing your physicals, uh, behavioral health needs to be a component of that. There's uh, uh, behavioral health stressors, whether that's sleep, alcohol dependency, uh, PTSD, 
um, issues that can be screened for using evidence-based tools and, of course, uh, interventions, uh, the whole key being early intervention to, to prevent uh, uh, an ultimate tragedy, which would be a suicide uh, of a member. So. Um, those are those resources are out there. And I encourage folks to uh, when they when they look at who their provider is going to be for physicals, um, use those tools to help uh, uh, assure that you're getting a, a very comprehensive, occupationally specific physical. We know that the, the preventative guidelines that are out there today um, typically are, are revolving around a general uh, population uh, sample. So folks that don't have an occupation such as firefighting, and we know our health, health risks are in many cases unique. So that needs to be taken into account when you select your provider for uh, for firefighter physicals. Chief, that's that's really good feedback, and 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 you mentioned behavioral health, and that's a um, it's a good segue for me as we travel the nation and, and do a lot of consulting and look at folks' wellness programs and how they administer them. And I think there's a general acceptance, and it's certainly a move towards using NFPA 1582. Um, but they're they're administered in many different ways with with different emphasis and different levels of, of of sophistication. So, other than behavioral health, do you see any other things that we're missing that should be done? Are there other gaps that you're seeing um, kind of as an industry trend in the 1582 wellness um, physicals? Sure, I can I can uh, tell you there's some ongoing uh, research which uh, I'm honored to be uh, a small part of, but. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our friends at uh, FEMA and the Assistance to Firefighter uh, grant process. They've funded a, a project uh, called the Better Heart Study that Dr. Denise Smith um, is looking at. Uh, our cardiac line of duty deaths and, and post mortem uh, findings. And one of the things we are finding is uh, a significant amount, close to uh, over 80%, actually, of our. Firefighters that uh, tragically have uh, suffered a line of duty death from, from cardiac disease had uh, left ventricular hypertrophy or, or an enlargement of the cardiac muscle itself and uh, in, in being seen as a precursor to perhaps uh, uh, arrhythmias or, or irregular heartbeat and, and ultimately a, a cardiac event that in many cases is fatal. So she's working on bringing forth some recommendations for enhanced screening. Um, of firefighters on the cardiac side, things such as uh, uh, cardiac ultrasound, uh, looking at perhaps uh, calcification scoring, uh, depending on uh, age of the firefighter. So um, the, the same is going on on the, on the cancer front. We have a lot of work being done by uh, some very prestigious academic institutions. I know uh, down here in South Florida, the University of Miami, Sylvester Cancer Center in the Northeast, you've got Dana-Farber. Dr. Jeff Burgess out at the University of Arizona. Um, so th there's evolving uh, recommendations on the cancer front that uh, are being studied now. So uh, again, the, the you know it's been said there's been more occupational health research done on firefighters in the last decade than in the prior two centuries, and that that really is uh, the case. Um, so as as the science is evolving, um, we as leaders at the chief level. Are working to make sure that we get uh, these these additional enhancements uh, uh, to our firefighters. Make sure we bring these forth to the NFPA for inclusion or consideration inclusion in 1582. So it's really something uh, uh, that, as a chief, you, ha you have to really stay up with uh, uh, where we're going, and, and we're trying to help you do that through uh, uh, our 
version 2.0 of the healthcare providers guide and uh, you know it's something that the science is evolving so quickly um, we as industry leaders have to make sure that we're getting that information out from the from the research community uh, to the to the tip of the spear which is the chiefs and the, the leadership of the departments well I want to uh, you mentioned several things chief Leduc, that I want to point out to our listeners that uh, the physician's guide and some of the information that that Chief LaDuke is referring to, you can get at the sections website. That's IASCSafety.org. And, of course, you can also go to the FSTAR web- website. That's the Firefighter uh, Research Group, um, and that's FSTARResearch.org, just one R, FSTARResearch.org. Now, one, one final question. We've talked about, um, you know, a lot of the, the, these data points about the disabling cardiac injuries, and we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, the cancer risk and all the things that we're doing that are kind of hard items for us to be researching and learning about. But as a fire chief, one of those things that I, I still battle from time to time is this cultural bias that, that we can have all this information and all these tools. Um, but if we don't get buy-in from the women and men that make up our ranks, medical surveillance is tough. And so talk, talk to us maybe, maybe even about what you did in Broward County or what you've seen done elsewhere that helps develop buy-in for firefighters so that we can get them, uh, you know, on board with what we're trying to do? Sure. That, that's a great question, Chief. And uh, uh, certainly um, I've had the opportunity to live the experience uh, in Broward County with uh, a uh, approximately 800 personal career department. Um, so uh, I can tell you the approach that, that worked uh, for us in Broward. We did it in a joint labor management fashion uh, with our with our labor partners. Um, you know, the, the average firefighter wants to enjoy uh, a very long career. Uh, we get into this profession because we love helping uh, folks and we love uh, firefighting in the service. Um, and, and want to enjoy a long retirement afterwards. So what, what the approach that worked for us um, and, and seemed to work in other departments around the country that I've had the opportunity to uh, uh, to work with is really a, a carrot approach. Um, so uh, educating uh, the members of the department as to some of these occupational risks um, in many cases is, is eye-opening when you look at one out of every three members of the general population will battle cancer and we're on top of that risk. Uh, when you look at the cardiac risk and the numbers, it, it really is an enlightening, uh, teachable moment um, from from the chief and the leadership of the department to the membership as to the, unfortunately, the, the occupational risk that we face uh, when we signed up for this job and we didn't necessarily know it when we signed up. So having uh, laid all that on the table, uh, approaching the physicals as simply really what they should be, in my opinion, uh, humbly, is early detection. Uh, we know that uh, on the cardiac front, um, early intervention um, has tremendous beneficial results in terms of outcome and survivability. We talked about left ventricular hypertrophy. That's treatable, uh, in some cases reversible with treatment. Um, on the cancer front, it's, it's stark. If you look at uh, some of the leading uh, cancers that afflict firefighters, um, survivability at stage one identification, so when you catch it at the initial point of origin, um, survivability rates are, are in many cases close, high 90s, close to 100% uh, with, with 
early intervention uh, in getting back to the job cancer-free. If we catch those at the later stages where it's spread beyond the, the organ of origin, those numbers uh, precipitously plummet uh, down to, in many cases, at stage three and four single digits. And in, in when we share all this with our members and they know this is really about early detection, finding um, disease processes at their very incipient stage, uh, managing it and getting them back uh, quickly and safely on the line, uh, a lot of that apprehension and fear just goes away. I can tell you in Broward, when we uh, implemented uh, uh, with using LifeScan Wellness as our, as our provider, we implemented mandatory physicals and we took that approach. Um, I've got so many now um, survivors that otherwise perhaps wouldn't be with us that have become the informal champions in the department. And I don't think we could wrestle physicals away if we tried, nor of course would we want to, but uh, it really then became not uh, the chief selling it, but the uh, the membership. And we had those members that, you know, their cancer was found at stage one and um, they now are the, the health and wellness champions of the department. So I, I would say to anyone out there taking the early detection, you know, you gotta have the awareness and the education as part of it. Um, and then you've got to uh, spend the time to uh, assure the membership uh, this is all about early detection and their survivability. Thanks, Chief Luduk. Those are some great um, nuggets, some great best practices and tools that I think we can all look at and, and determine how they can best be applied to our organizations. Um, let's bring in Chief Kerrigan and, and talk for a minute about the, the fitness side of the equation. And, and Chief, I know that over the years, ever since the Wellness Fitness Initiative between the IAFF and the IAFC came out, there's been a, a new emphasis on uh, fitness and, and exercise and uh, just making sure that we're, we're able to do the job and the extreme exertion that we're called upon to do periodically. And now there's a movement afoot to say that maybe we should be looking at ourselves as, as athletes versus fit, uh, fire service professionals or some combination thereof. But my question to you to start with is, is there an exercise problem in the fire service and are we looking at this wrong? Is, is there something we should be doing different? Well, I, I don't necessarily think that there's that we have an exercise problem as much as we have a sort of an institutional accountability challenge, if you will. I mean, if you think back or I think back on when I, whenever I joined the fire service, um, you know, I, I can't even say that physical fitness specifically was even discussed or talked about. Uh, maybe that's because of the mentality at the time. Maybe there were more fires and we we felt like we were getting our exercise in because we were so busy with work. Um, regardless of what the reason is, I think we're seeing, uh, certainly seeing the tide rise in terms of uh, our approach to fitness. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with incorporation of uh, fitness into recruit programs, and we're seeing the younger firefighters come on board um, now having to more often than not pass uh, a physical agility test before they even get hired. And so there's preparation taking place before uh, a firefighter even becomes a rookie. Um, and now that, that mindset, if you will, is starting to carry over into the fire service once they get on the job and they realize that we have to keep up with the, the fitness that we, that we met, the standards that we met when we first uh, applied for the job. Um, I would also argue that, you know, absent a national mandate on fitness or any other component of health and wellness, 
it still comes down to uh, personal responsibility. Um, you know, and that being said, I would suggest that even if your department doesn't currently have standards for fitness or wellness or physicals or anything like that, that, that we have to take a little bit more responsibility on our own to get it done ourselves. And to that end, I would suggest that there's a lot of resources out there now, many of them for free, that that we didn't have back in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s to, to help individual firefighters uh, with their with their you know quest to to become more physically fit. But absolutely, we need to look at ourselves as occupational athletes. I mean, there's probably no other uh, occupation, if you will, uh, outside of professional sports that pushes our body. Uh, to and beyond the theoretical maximum uh, limits in terms of body systems. So uh, definitely need to, uh, to continue to push that, that message uh, and make sure that it's looked at comprehensively with all of the things that, that Chief LaDuke already mentioned. Well, I like your points, uh, Chief Kerrigan. Um, I've, I've often said to the firefighters that I get the privilege of working with that it's the same thing, right, that they have to get interested in their own physical fitness. And until they have that interest, um, you can buy all the workout equipment and you can legislate uh, physical fitness or try to, but it's never going to be successful until you get that personal buy-in. So I think you're spot on. You know, we get about a 1,000, give or take, listeners to these podcasts, uh, many of them fire chiefs who probably, uh, you know, would love, most of us would, would always want to see our departments become a little healthier, become a little bit more fit. If, mm-hmm. if you could if you could share with those listeners, those fire chiefs, um, some things that you know that maybe they don't, you know, maybe a few little talking points. What what would you tell them about functional fitness that maybe is just not in the common narrative out there for fire chiefs right now? Sure. Well, well, first of all, I would I would tell everyone that's listening uh, that that this this whole fitness and wellness thing comes down to priorities, and as fire chiefs, we we need to, I believe, we need to, generally speaking, do a better job with prioritizing the firefighter health and wellness uh, programs that, that in our departments. Um, and, and, and we know that sometimes it comes down to money. We've heard a lot of different excuses uh, relative to why we can't implement some of these programs. But, but that Wellness Fitness Initiative, which is now on its fourth edition, has proven outright that health and wellness programs generate almost an immediate positive return on investment uh, when they're implemented. The documentation is there. Uh, it's, it's there for you to use um, when you're going for the money that you need to start these programs, you know, anywhere from one to two to three to even up to $5 uh, return for every dollar spent. Uh, so I would say first and foremost that we have to be willing to invest as much into our own preventative maintenance as we do our apparatus, for example, which traditionally – we spend a lot of money on. So we shouldn't be questioning whether we, whether we can afford these programs. We should be questioning whether we can afford to avoid them, right? Uh, specific to, to leadership, I mean, you know, our friend Jake Rhodes has said uh, many times that we are not exempt from the shallows and that, and that we have to, 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 you know, walk the talk as well as uh, expect our firefighters to do, to do the things we expect them to do. 
Um, specifically in terms of functional fitness, um, it, it's best for us to be exercising or training, I should say, in a manner that replicates what we do on the fire ground. So if you think about a professional athlete like a soccer player or a gymnast or even a football player, the things that they do when they train physically are designed to improve their performance on, the, on, their, on their playing field, if you will. Right. And and so that's sort of the, the mindset and the approach that we take with functional fitness is that we need to train in a manner that not only is going to improve our health, but also improve our performance on the fire ground. So it's it's performance based approach versus the traditional um, bodybuilder or physique based approach that many of us are used to from from uh, earlier decades. Um, Implementing functional movements and exercises, you know, it also increases the actual proficiency with the tools and equipment that we use because many of the implements that we use in functional fitness training can be found right on your engines and ladders and rescues. Uh, there's not too much of a need for specialized exercise equipment when we, when we train functionally because we have a lot of that equipment uh, right there on the, on the apparatus. And that, of course, translates into uh, savings as well if, if budget is an issue. That is that is some great input, Chief, and you are spot on. Being able to train with the tools we use for the for the functions and the jobs that we are we are uh, needing to do. That's that's great stuff. Um, I think that the big program stuff as leaders and as chiefs, making sure that it's a priority, making sure that it's funded, that it's supported, and leading by example is really really imp are all important elements. Um, but let, let's break it down to the to the lower level where it starts with me. What what are some steps or best practices or some things that everyone could be doing that helps moves up, move us towards a more a better functional fitness state in in the fire service? What should absolutely. I be doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm going to again go back to to um, mindset first and foremost. Right, we have to understand that 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 we need to convince our brain that that it's the important thing to do, whether on an individual level, whether our department requires us to do it or not. But the best approach to fitness and really overall health in general is is to just take small positive steps to improve, to set yourself up for success. Um, a completely deconditioned uh, individual is not going to fare very well if they get off the couch on the first day and try to challenge themselves to lift, you know, and inordinate amount of weight, for example, uh, you're going to set yourself up for failure. So the best thing to do is, number one, remember that the body functions better when it's moving rather than when it's sedentary. Um, uh, sedentary lifestyle is one of our biggest challenges in America, not just in the fire service. Uh, and so um, small steps include just getting up and getting moving. That, For one person, that may mean just taking a brisk walk four or five times a week because they're deconditioned. For another person, that may mean um, looking at their current exercise regimen and seeing what they're actually doing and determining whether it is actually, quote-unquote, functional or not. Um, we also have to remember that it's not just about physical fitness. So those small positive improvements in your health also relate to uh, hydration and nutrition and, and those sorts of things as well. So little things like drinking more water, um, uh, eating the right foods in the right amounts from the right sources, those kinds of things are all critically important uh, for us as individuals as well. Uh, if you're looking 
for a, a starting point, the NFPA standard under PA 1583 has a very detailed uh, assessment, physical assessment that you can go through to uh, to determine your current fitness level. Uh, even in the book that myself and, and Jim Moss wrote uh, in Firefighter Functional Fitness, we have a, a very simple personal assessment to help get you started. Once you have your baseline, then you can set small goals to improve. Um, I would offer lastly that the most important three questions that you always should answer when it come answer yes to when it comes to fitness is is it safe, is it effective, and is it functional? When you're doing those exercises or movements, those questions ought to all be answered yes. Otherwise, we need to look at the approach. So definitely uh, small steps uh, in terms of your physical fitness, paying better attention to our diets, uh, more water food from natural sources, uh, you know, instead of processed food, uh, certainly less sugar, reduce your sugar intakes, intake, and uh, just take small steps uh, one day at a time. Well, those are, uh, those are great tips. I can see why, um, you know, on social media, a lot of what you say becomes so popular and you have a good uh, common sense approach to fitness and I appreciate some of the comments you made. So now for both of you, we want to talk a little bit about mental and emotional wellness and and what's going on there. And this is, if there is a 500-pound gorilla, like you mentioned earlier, Todd, I think personally it's it's this, uh, you know, mental wellness for our firefighters that that, uh, the psychological damage of the job and and all the things that we just cannot see. So um, I I guess, Dan, if you don't mind starting off, and then, Todd, I want want you to uh, answer this same question as well. What are the key elements and or maybe best practices that uh, address mental and emotional wellness, um, you know, in in a comprehensive kind of uh, wellness program? What are those key elements that fire chiefs need to be talking about and considering? Sure. Well, well, I think first and foremost, I think we need to do a better job, and, and I think we're working on that. We need to do a better job of understanding that that you and I, all of these folks that are listening, anybody in the fire service, we have to realize that we're just we're human beings as well, and we, we are affected by the things that we see and have to deal with just as much as anybody else is, and and so we have to kind of reduce that stigma, if you will, of of uh, that impression that we're supposed to be able to handle these things differently and recognize within ourselves as well as the the colleagues that we work with when things might not be uh, as good as they used to be, you know, and observation and and paying attention to each other's uh, activities and, um, you know, comments and all the little things that would trigger a suspicion that maybe something's bothering an individual a little more so than usual. Um, so I, I think that that part is critical. I think bringing in um, behavioral health uh, awareness training into our uh, organizations, I know I've done it uh, in the past at my previous organization where we brought in uh, folks to specifically address behavioral health uh, awareness and and even doing some role playing uh, and so that folks understand that it's okay to talk to each other about these kinds of things. Um, I would also recommend or suggest that that we need to look more specifically at counseling, if you will, that that is specific to the emergency services rather than uh, you know your standard employee assistance program. Uh, the folks that that are 
doing what we do and understand what we do are probably, if they're trained properly, going to be the best ones to um, to be able to help you if you need the help. Um, nothing against traditional counselors and EAP programs, but do they really know what we what we deal with on a daily basis, what we see, can they even comprehend that? So that's a, for, me, for my money, that's a pr pretty important aspect. And I would also add that that regular physical fitness has been has been proven to to help improve your mental health uh, awareness. So um, that's that's definitely something that we need to look at as well. Chief Duke, how about you? Yeah, I, I think uh, I want to echo a couple of the points uh, that, that Dan made, but I think at the macro level, um, we're, we're still learning um, the impacts uh, on our behavioral health of this job. I think, uh, you know, we don't have a, a national behavioral health or suicide registry, so the numbers that are out there are, are uh, we believe, likely underreporting. Uh, but, but obviously, any of us that have been doing the job uh, for any length of time and and the research that is out there tells us that their repetitive uh, trauma and stress uh, does take a behavioral health toll if, if we don't have the appropriate uh, support systems in place. And, and I agree with Dan. I, I um, um, you know, as a chief, and, and I'm sure you all have, have found this, it's often uh, uh, members within the, the own, your own house or uh, within that uh, individual crew um, that knew that a member was, was struggling long before I did as, as chief or, um, you know, before the word got downtown, um, typically uh, already perhaps bad, uh, bad outcomes had occurred. So um, the awareness training is, is critical. Um, the the uh, members of, of the crew are going to see things a lot sooner than, you know, a bat chief would or, or administrative chief. So, um, just training each member of, uh, of the department in uh, early recognition, warning signs, what's what's normal, what is uh, uh, early sign of someone that's uh, struggling behavioral health-wise. Um, having uh, resiliency programs in place, and, and those can take any number of, of different forms. Um, we see departments incorporating uh, yoga and meditation, but uh, probably at its very simplest level, is some element of a peer support program. Uh, we know that there's a protective effect or uh, a resiliency of simply being part of a of a cohesive unit or team. Um, so training members within the department uh, to be uh, peer support uh, team members. Uh, um, and there's a, any number of programs that are out there. The IFF has a, an excellent program. Uh, um, there's, there's others. I know uh, in Broward we partnered with the local university system and their Department of Psychology to, to help work with us and develop uh, peer support training, awareness training. Um, and then I, I just want to reinforce again, because the, the research tells us that uh, so few of the uh, annual physicals that are out there are incorporating any type of behavioral health screening. And, and we have evidence-based screening tools that are that are out there um, we need to we need to uh, demystify destigmatize um, screening for them uh, the IFC providers guide to firefighter physicals has some recommendations on specific screenings but uh, as we would screen for 
left ventricular hypertrophy or cancer or any other physical ailment, um, early early precursors to behavioral health can be identified through screening um, and uh, intervening as as Dave uh, as Dan said with the appropriate. Uh, uh, mental health professional who, who's familiar with our occupation and has some exposure to it um, is critical. So I, I think putting those as a bundle together um, really creates a, a holistic behavioral health support uh, for, for the members. That, that is some great input um, by both of you. And, and I would offer to our members also as, a, as another potential resource that uh, VCOS has distributed a yellow ribbon report, uh, most likely we've used the lavender for best practices uh, for preventing cancer. This one's called Under the Helmet, Performing an Internal Size-Up and a Proactive Approach to Mental Wellness. And it's a very well-done document. It, it uh, keys in on a lot of the items that our guests have shared with us today, and it's just another place for you to take a look and see what's, what's available to you to, to help us do this better. Um, so I, I have one last question for you, both of you today, and then and then we'll um, we'll wrap it up for this uh, episode. Uh, but we talked about a lot of great things regarding wellness and fitness and behavioral health and emotional wellness and all critical elements to the to the success uh, of our of our uh, troops and of our our organizations and of our industry. Um, but a lot of organizations, my observation is they're doing these things in a in a bit of a vacuum or a silo, and, and in some cases they haven't all been connected together in what I would call a holistic approach to emotional, uh, physical uh, and, and fitness and emotional wellness. And so my question to you all, is, are there some best practices or some examples of, of organizations or an approach to really put all this together in a holistic manner so that it coexists, is staffed, funded and administered in an appropriate manner so that we can begin to measure the outcomes and see the difference this all can make. And so we'll start, uh, Chief LeDuc, why don't we start with you and then we'll, we'll let uh, Chief Carrington, uh, Kerrigan rather, uh, shut this one down. Sure. I, I, I think, uh, and uh, Chief Kerrigan mentioned it, you know, priority, um, you know, uh, is key that the department uh, and the leadership of the department uh, really needs to make uh, make. Uh, holistic health and wellness uh, a priority. A wise mentor uh, once told me if you don't have uh, healthy firefighters, you don't have a fire department. Um, and there's a lot of truth to be said to that. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, the IFF, IFC Health and Wellness Initiative, which is a wonderful uh, roadmap. We've got uh, NFPA in uh, the Safety, Health, and Survival section has a document that you can find on our website, a roadmap to wellness. And it kind of incorporates uh, the building blocks of exactly, uh, Chief, what, what you are talking about. It's that comprehensive approach. And we know uh, in many cases it's not going to happen overnight. Um, departments are at different uh, levels on a spectrum of where they're at in the, the journey to have a comprehensive program. Um, but, but the document uh, roadmap uh, to help implementing firefighter health and wellness uh, really helps walk through from a chief's perspective, from a volunteer department, from the risk manager, to all the elements, uh, the labor side that would go along with implementing. And uh, the, the other piece I would put out there, and, and Dan touched on it, is uh, you always hear the funding piece of this. You know, a tremendous, tremendous resource, again, I want to plug it, that's out there, is the uh, FEMA Assistance to Firefighter Grant Funding. We put aside millions of dollars uh, a year uh, annually that are appropriated. Health and wellness 
um, is one of the highest priorities of that grant. Yet uh, I've been told consistently by uh, by FEMA staff that uh, only about 10% of the requests for funding uh, have to do with health and wellness. So um, that's a, a treasure trove of uh, seed money to help departments. And uh, a lot of what we've talked about today um, can be done uh, at little or no cost. I know in Broward, uh, some of the things we implemented, whether that was nutrition, whether that was uh, uh, peer support, we partnered with local entities in the community that, uh, that did it at uh, no cost for us as a department. They simply they heard the struggles that uh, firefighters had with regards to their occupational health, and they wanted to help us. So uh, I, I would say... Uh, Get started, download the the roadmap to wellness, and uh, start putting the building blocks in, in place. And uh, even if it doesn't happen overnight, it's a journey that you, we need to prioritize as leaders in the fire service and uh, and, and make it something that uh, becomes the, the industry norm instead of uh, um, departments that are, that are still struggling with this. Thanks to both of you for uh, uh, being with us today and, and sharing all that information. Um, lots of resources for our IAFC members and our listeners. The, the going to the VCOS, the section website, you can find the yellow ribbon report, the lavender report, and uh, of course we mentioned earlier the FSTAR uh, Firefighter Safety Through Advanced Research Group. That's FSTARresearch.org, and then of course our IAFC Safety Health and Survival section, IAFCSafety.org. Lots of resources for fire chiefs and and chief officers to obtain more information to learn more about mental health, about cancer, about the cardiac risk epidemic uh, within our business. And uh, Chief Kerrigan, Chief LaDuke, uh, awesome, uh, awesome information today. Can't thank you enough for spending some time with us, and uh, we appreciate it. That's, that wraps up uh, this podcast, this episode of uh, the, the iChiefs podcast series. Now, our next podcast that we're working on right now will involve community risk reduction, and we'll have uh, some, some guests, Mike Cox, who's with Esri. He's a former chief officer with Henrico County, Virginia. And we're also going to have uh, the international director uh, for the Fire and Life Safety Section, Michael O'Brien, who's the fire chief up in Brighton Township Fire Rescue in Michigan, uh, both, uh, both absolute rock stars in our business. And so uh, join us for our next podcast, and thanks to both of you for making this one successful. Thank you very much thanks. for having Stay us. Stay safe.